Welcome to Puzzling It Out, Thoughts and Perspectives from a Clinical Psychologist. Hello, I'm Dr. Gail Lewis, a clinical psychologist and your podcast host, and I practice on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. This is going to be the fourth in my series of episodes focusing on multiple sclerosis. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about support partners and the role of support partners in the world of somebody who has multiple sclerosis and the impact that multiple sclerosis has on a support partner and in my perspective the need of the attention that has to be given to those people who consider themselves support partners the needed and much neglected attention that has thus far been given to those people so to define support uh, in the dictionary definition it, it means something and in this case perhaps someone that bears the weight of something or someone or keeps it upright and the reason why I'm choosing to use the word support partner as opposed to the typical way of describing someone in an infirm person's life as a caregiver is that I don't think that the primary person in someone's life who needs to have accommodations made because of their multiple sclerosis I don't think it's just about caregiving I think that's part of the equation but I don't think it speaks to the whole picture of it and I'll give you an example that doesn't fully explain the extent to which I think a support partner's role extends but I think it gives a little picture so let's suggest that Jane is a person who has multiple sclerosis and she and Joe are married and they both have full-time jobs and their combined income is what allows them to support the lifestyle in which they live support the regular payment of their mortgage of their food costs of their electricity costs of basically all of the expenses that accrue daily monthly yearly and their mutual combined incomes are required for all of these payments to be made in a regular and consistent way and let's just say that Jane's MS has gotten to the point where because of her symptoms she is no longer able to work both full-time and even half time and therefore she is put on disability uh, and she is now relegated to living a more sedentary life at home let's put a positive spin on it let's hope that Jane has some other ways of occupying her time but they're not included in being able to earn money so what happens Joe who was also relying on Jane's income to support said necessary expenses and their lifestyle choices 
now needs to find a way to make up for the lost income. So Joe works a full-time job and that might mean Joe might need to take on some extra hours at work. He might even need to take on a secondary job, which as you might imagine, in addition to dealing with whatever stress is incurred by Jane's reaction to her MS affecting her life in the way that it is taking her out of the workforce, dealing with her stress and her angst and her sadness and resentment about that, Joe must also now confront his stress about needing to earn more money, which can take away from time spent with Jane, can take away from time spent doing other things that perhaps he enjoys doing, that their combined income allowed them to do, such as social activities, such as recreational activities, either done together or done individually, but that these new commitments because of Jane's inability to be full-time in the workforce is now going to be or has decided to be the responsibility of Joe to make up for. And one can only imagine that for Joe, who might love his wife Jane dearly and might feel the pain and the suffering and the heartache of what his wife is feeling and has incredible empathy for and concern for her well-being. Additionally, he has his own feelings about what these changes in their life circumstances mean for their dyad, but also for himself. So let's just say one of the things that Joe can no longer do because he now has extra hours of work and not as much income perhaps as before when they both were working, Joe can no longer take pride and joy in his, let's just say, bi-weekly golf game that he has with his friends. Both because he doesn't have the finances to support uh, golf fees, nor does he have the recreational time available to do that, because not just as a result of the additional hours that Joe might have to work, but because Jane is home and some of the things that Jane was not able to accomplish at work that perhaps required focus and energy and stick to it with it, stick with it to itness. Not getting the right word there, um, but the the ability to stay on on task with something uh, because of concentration issues, because of memory issues, because of exhaustion, because of fatigue, because of loss of ambulatory function because of 
spasticity because of all the possible symptoms that can get in the way of somebody being able to do even easy tasks that we might consider to be easy, such as, I don't know, preparing dinner. Maybe Jane liked to prepare dinner. Maybe she was somebody who took a lot of pride in being able to look at a recipe and cut up vegetables and take a pan down from a hook that was hanging overhead the stove and be able to, after chopping up her vegetables, sauteing them and preparing a meal for her and Joe. Now, if she has spasticity and weakness in her hands, she may not be able to chop up those vegetables, nor might she be able to take down that pan that is hanging from a hook above her stove. So she needs help in being able to do that. And that might require her asking Joe to help with doing that. But Joe might be working his second job, or Joe might be taking a very brief respite from doing all of these extra things that he now needs to do. Maybe he's sitting in front of the television set and watching a football game, and the idea of taking even five minutes away from doing that, this reprieve that he has in order to take down a pan and perhaps help Jane chop up vegetables well, maybe to you and me, seems like not that big of a deal. To him, it seems like an incredible imposition. Now, how might Joe feel about feeling that it's an imposition? He logically recognizes that Jane can no longer do these things. He recognizes logically that Jane is not doing this on purpose and that if she had her way, if she had the kind of control over her body that she would wish to have, she would be doing these things herself. But she can't. So she needs help to do that. <laughs> Maybe Jane is one of those people who does not like needing help in doing things. So then you have to deal with Jane's pride being injured and having to ask Joe, and then having to deal with Joe's either masked or unmasked, thus passive-aggressive resentment at taking himself off of his Barker lounger, away from his football game, to do this task, which to him is an additional task that he now has to do in order to compensate for Jane's limitations as a result of her MS. So that's what I consider support. He's not caretaking for Jane in this particular example. Um, I'm sure I can give you other examples where caregiver and caretaking are more apropos terms, but in this particular example, this is about supporting the household, supporting the two of them, supporting their lifestyle, supporting 
Jane as she accommodates to her MS. But as you can see, Joe is also having to accommodate to her MS. And if you haven't already had this experience, in my experience, I find that there are many people who have MS that when you ask them, how do you think it's affecting your partner? And this is not out of being insensitive. Maybe sometimes it is, but my initial experience, it's not out of insensitivity. But I'll often get an answer of, I don't know. I, I don't know how it's affecting Joe. Um, we never talk about it. He seems to be okay. He doesn't complain. He doesn't show me any signs that he's being bothered in any way. He seems to be very willing and able to pick up the slack of the things that I can't do. Yet, when I offer to see Joe in my office individually, not in the presence of Jane, which is also something that I will do is I will have both in my office together to talk about the impacts they're having on each other. But when I have Joe alone and I ask him what it's like and what it has been like since Jane's MS has more considerably affected and impacted the lifestyle that they had grown accustomed to, what I initially recognize is Joe's ambivalence of acknowledging that he is in any way resentful about this. When objectively, as you're listening to this, and maybe you know, I'm not being unbiased in the way that I am presenting this, but you might think, how could he not be resentful? How could he not have feelings about this? But that is my experience, that most support partners are very reluctant to acknowledge that they're angry about how their partner's MS is affecting them, that they're angry about the adjustments that they have to make, that they're angry about having to give up some of the pleasures in their life, both that they do individually and pleasure that they've enjoyed with their partner. Let's just say, for example, that Joe and Jane made a practice of taking regular walks or even hikes on, on weekends. Um, and because of Jane's limitations and perhaps because of Jane's fatigue, she can't do that anymore in any kind of regular way. And on days that she can, where she seems to have an abundance of energy, where she seems to have increased mobility, where it seems like this is a day where my MS doesn't exist, and I promise you those days do happen, it takes both of them by surprise. And often they don't know really what to do with it. And more often is the case that is if they take advantage of such a day, Joe and Jane will find that after having a wonderful day of hiking and walking and enjoying each other's company, 
and feeling like they've turned a corner and that maybe going forward things will be different, the next day it's quite likely that Jane will suffer some kind of exhaustive crash. Um, it is a phenomenon that is quite common to happen after people have a day where they feel like MS is no longer in their system and they just go for it doing something that they really enjoy doing because they can and it gives both both people a sense of illusory healing and illusory um, growth out of the state of being in the throes of MS and it acts more like a teaser and often a subsequently disappointing teaser. So MS in this particular example isn't just affecting Jane's ability to be in the world in the way that she wanted to be both as a productive worker, as a productive partner in terms of some of the things that she enjoyed doing at home, such as cooking, um, doing the things that she enjoyed doing with Joe, such as taking hikes, and I'm sure there are other things as well, but that it also impacts Joe and the way that he lived his life. And one of the biggest topics that come up when I talk to support partners on their own and sometimes when they bravely are willing to admit this in front of their MS person one of the things that comes up is I didn't sign up for this and this this could very well be even if their partner even if Jane had MS prior to the two of them coming together uh, it more frequently happens when Jane has been diagnosed post the two of them being together but this is not what he signed up for which I'm sure it's not something Jane signed up for either but uh, Joe nor would anyone ever anticipate or look out for these kinds of changes and these kinds of compromises that would need to be made as a result of deciding to continue moving forward in this relationship. And a big issue when I speak to people who are considered support partners, both individually and also in group settings, are some of the issues that they have the most frustration with. Uh, one of them, interestingly enough, is that they feel that their person with MS isn't trying hard enough. This is pretty common. And this isn't necessarily coming from an audience of support partners who are, who are not intellectually savvy to what MS is and how MS affects a person. This comes from a place of emotional need 
and not about using one's brain capacity but using one's emotional requirements and wishes and issues of feeling vulnerable and wanting their own needs to be attended to which also can get neglected and very often does get neglected when accommodating to a person who has MS and there's so much more that I could say about this particular issue so many more examples that I have you know I will I will say that the biggest issues that I find that support partners have with people who have MS is dealing with their MS person's fatigue dealing with being able to believe the severity of it as I said earlier believing that their MS person is trying hard enough dealing with the question of do I really want to stick around with this do I really want my life to be like this um, and also how much more is this going to impact my life and can I in any way depend upon my person with MS to attend to my needs and pay attention to my suffering and to things that are bothering me because I feel like I'm spending all of my time and we are spending all of our time focusing on Jane's needs and not Joe's needs and a lot of the work that I try to do and that I wish could be done more frequently with people who have support partners is to work together to try to help them help each other and communicate more effectively which is very rare in these situations to communicate more effectively about what they need what they can actually give to each other what they actually can acknowledge that they can't and to together find ways to have those needs met whether it's through each other or through other resources to learn better coping skills at being able to manage the stressors and the feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and frustration and anger and resentment and I can go on in more constructive ways individually and with each other and these are things that I do whatever I can to help my patients with MS and the support people in their lives and the last thing that I'm going to say is that I am currently in the process of starting a support process group and I say support because it's a meant to be a group where support partners those would be the attendees would be supporting each other holding each other up you know making sure that they all can be sturdy or even be vulnerable and weak together without it being a bad thing 
and process and that they can talk together and with me about how they're feeling in genuine, real, vulnerable ways that I'm in the process of recruiting and starting a support partner group in my practice in New York City. I feel that it's a necessary one. I'm going to begin with one group and if the need grows to a point where other groups are um, are necessary and in demand to form, I will do that as well. And if I myself can't, I will make a point of doing whatever I can to make that happen because I do want I do want these these very important, special, strong support partners to be respected and to be shown the kind of attention and honor that they deserve. So with that, I am going to conclude and I'm going to highlight to you that the next episode that I'm going to be discussing is about many of the emotional issues that come up in the world of having multiple sclerosis, both for the person who has MS and for their immediate support system surrounding them. The ways that some of these emotional issues are attended to or ignored, the way that I feel they ought to be attended to, and the different resources that if not made available thus far should be made available to them and can be made available to them. So please look out for that next episode in which I will be discussing that. In the meantime, if A, you have yourself as a support partner, any interest, if you live in the New York City metropolitan area, in becoming part of my support partner support group, please go to my website www.drgaillewis.com and my phone number is on there, my email address is on there. Please get in touch with me and let me know. If you know of somebody who is a support partner who you think might benefit from such a support group situation, please forward them my information and have them get in touch with me so that we can start the process and that we can get this group going as soon as possible. In addition, if you have any other questions that have arisen as a result of this podcast or my other ones, please go to my website. Again, it's drgaillewis.com. My phone number's on there. My email address is on there. There is a link for you to schedule an appointment should you wish to speak with me further. There are many ways to get in touch with me, and I'm more than happy to talk to you about these issues around multiple sclerosis and any other questions that you might have. In the meantime, I thank you so much for your attention, for your interest in listening to me, and I do hope to have you as my audience for my next episode, and I thank you so much and look forward to our next time together. Take care. Thank you.